Welcome to the Diversity Church Podcast. This is Pastor Jonathan Ember. We hope that you would just take a moment and listen and receive the Word of God. We know that one word from the Lord can change your life. And so we hope that this message will bless you and transform you in Jesus' name. As Justin said, we are in a series of messages called Summer and the Psalms. How many people are a fan of summertime? Come on, somebody. Like when you see the, the palm tree branches and the pool water uh, and a little beach ball, like that gives you the vibes, doesn't it? It's like, yes, I love summertime. I don't know if you guys know I'm a little less white since summer has begun. Some of y'all are laughing because you know it's true, right? So summertime is fun. And so we just kind of played on that theme as we're going to be looking in the book of Psalms, right? Which is just a bunch of different songs or journal entries or poems from different men of God in the Old Testament. And so we've kind of been picking and choosing because there's 150 of these. So we've been kind of looking at a few of them and we'll continue to do so for the next few weeks. And so today's message, we're going to actually go to Psalm chapter three. That's the Psalm that we're looking in. We're going to read the whole thing. And the message entitled uh, today is the three Selahs of Psalm three. All right, Selah is a word that you're going to find in the book of Psalms. It's actually used 71 times in the book of Psalms. It's only found one other place in the Bible. It's actually found in Habakkuk as well, just in, uh, I think it's in chapter three, one of the chapters in there, it's only mentioned three times in the book of Habakkuk. So most of the time it's mentioned is in the book of Psalms. And the reason why most scholars believe this, it's a little bit of a complicated word. Um, even some scholars are kind of confused by it, but most of them believe that it's a notation for everyone to pause and reflect on what was just said specifically in music. So it's probably a musical kind of note or a musical sign or symbol to the musicians that would sing many of these psalms to kind of go back and just ponder. Let's not, you know, just sing on. Let's not just even have words. But how many guys know it's awesome in worship time to just let the music play and for you just to ponder on who God is, right? You don't always have to have the words. You don't always have to just like keep on talking. It's sometimes good just for us to say love which means to think about it, just to ponder, just to let God rest in your mind. And what was just spoken, why don't you digest that? Why don't you chew on that for a little bit? And so that's really what the word Selah means. The reason why I've entitled this the three Selahs of Psalm 3 is because clearly Psalm 3 has three Selahs. All right, we're going to go to the Psalm of David in Psalm 3. We're going to read these three uh, Psalms, or these three Selahs. We're going to read the whole Psalm of Psalm 3. Let's follow along on the screen as we read the Word of God this morning. It says, O Lord, how many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. And then it says, Selah. So the writer, David, is saying, you need to think about what I'm just saying right here. Pause and reflect on that, which we're going to do in one of my points. And then verse three, it says, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. One of my favorite Bible verses right there. Verse four, I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill, Selah. That's Selah number two. He's saying, think about what I just said. Verse five, I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. And again, the third, 
Selah. All right, I'm going to just divide the message amongst those three Selahs. We're going to look at these verses around these three Selahs this morning, and we're going to all be encouraged in the fight. We're all going to be encouraged in the fight. Three Selahs of Psalm 3. Let's look at Selah number one. Psalm 3, 1 and 2 says, O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. Selah. Anybody ever feel that way? Many are my foes. Many are rising up against me. David is saying, I want you to think about this. Meaning, what is happening to me is not uncommon to man, right? We all go through battles. We all go through struggles. Uh, Paul the Apostle talks about even temptation this way. He says, none of us are tempted beyond what all of our brothers and sisters are tempted in this world. We're all fighting, not against other people. Not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers that just show up in people. (laughs) That just show up in flesh and blood. There's opposition that we face. David is saying, I am thinking about this. And when I think about what David is actually saying here, when he's saying, many are my foes, I actually think about the life of David. David is known as a warrior king. And if you're known as a warrior king, you've had to face some battles in your life. Right. You had to actually face him. And if you're still writing about it, that means you've had to win those battles. And David faced opposition out from the gate. Listen, he is the eighth child or the eighth son of Jesse. How many guys know in his house growing up, he faced some opposition. If you actually look in the scripture, when uh, Samuel comes to anoint the new king and he doesn't know yet it's David, he calls all of the sons of Jesse, except for David is hanging out with the sheep and he's left in, in the, in the shepherd field. And he's not even invited to the party with the, with the prophet that day. He, he was left out. And I think this is indicative of what he had to face. Oh, that's just puny David. That's just the, that's just the, the runt of the litter, Right. Uh, as you see this matter of fact, later on, when he goes to face Goliath, one of his older brothers said, you ain't going to face him. Go home, go take care of the sheep. I mean, this dude knew what it was like to face opposition. I'm telling you straight from the get, even from his family. Anybody relate to that? I had an older brother who gave me some opposition. (laughs) He actually one time like Lex Luger, he actually took me above his head. He's always been bigger than me. He's always been more powerful than me. I gave him a little left hook. It was the worst mistake I probably could have ever made to my older brother. All right. He's four years older and 400 pounds heavier. All right. He lifted me up over his head one time as God is my witness and gave me a Lex Luger back break over his knee. I was like, ah, you know, cops were called. It was crazy. All right. I know what it's like to have opposition even early on. Uh, in my home like David would have had. And so he's talking about all of his foes. I'm thinking he's thinking he's going back into the recesses of all the battles he had to fight while he was shepherding. It was recorded that he faced a lion and a bear one time and he beat him with his bare hands. Uh, It was also known, of course, we all know him as the giant Goliath slayer, right? We know him facing that giant. We recognize if you know anything about the story of David, one of his greatest foes was the king at the time, Saul, that he had to face for 15 years and run from him and not, he didn't want to uh, hurt the Lord's anointed, kill the Lord's anointed. And so he had to give that to God continually as he fought that battle for 15 years. Years. We see him fighting many of the opposing 
armies of Israel. And he's leading the the forefront of those battles. And he had defeated many armies by the time this psalm is being written. And then he comes to this psalm. And he's writing at probably the greatest, not, not probably, this is the greatest opposition of David's life that he is writing about here in Psalm chapter three. This is when his son Absalom rises up against him kind of uh, initiates this coup and he even steals some of David's like trusted advisors and convinces them to be on his side to oppose David so Absalom his son can take the throne I mean this is war after war David has fought battle after battle at this point now he has to face his own son And the traitors that joined his side? This is what the scripture says in 2 Samuel 15, 11, and 12. I want you just to imagine what David is feeling and why he is crying out like this. Many are my foes. With Absalom went 200 men from Jerusalem who were invited guests. They went in their innocence and they knew nothing. So these people were just invited by Absalom. Didn't know that he was actually going to stage a coup and, and start this conspiracy against his dad. But they came. And while Absalom was offering the sacrifices he sent for Athaphel, the Gilanite, David's counselor. This is his greatest trusted advisor, David's. And he actually, Absalom, calls for him from his city of Gilam. And the conspiracy grew strong, the scripture says. And look at this. And the people with Absalom kept increasing. This is why David is writing in this psalm as this battle is raging against his son. Many are my foes. Look, if it was just his son, that battle would have been overwhelming. But you have his trusted advisors. You have other people that were on David's side being loyal to David, pledging allegiance to the kingdom of Israel and the king David now being traitors, turning from him and turning to his son who is staging a coup. And this is not right. This is not just. This is not good. And David is on the other side of it. And guess what? Just as he ran from Saul... The scripture describes him now having to leave Jerusalem, leave his throne because the army now that is staging around and coming around Absalom is getting so big that the people of David and his trusted advisors that still stuck with him said, we got to get out of here or else we're all going to die. So David, who ran from Saul for 15 years and probably thought he would never have to run again when he finally got the throne is now having to leave his throne Because his son and the traitors that went along with his son are now after him. Many are my foes. They're surrounding me on every side, he says. Come on, church. Have you ever been there? Are you tired of fighting because you feel like I just keep having to fight one battle after another battle? After another battle, maybe it's not as intimate or as complicated as a son, or maybe it actually is that a family member has risen up against you, or maybe somebody spouted off something crazy on Facebook, right? But but I'm having to fight this 
battle and I feel like I just keep on having to fight. I thought when I signed up for Christianity, this thing was going to be easy. I thought when I finally got the throne, when I finally got salvation, when I finally got this position of authority, I thought it was going to be easy. But no, you still got to fight. You ever tired of it? How, How do you find peace when you have your son and traitors that used to be your friend rising up against you? How do you find peace? This is what the scripture says. This comes to second, the second Selah. This is so awesome. He pours out his heart to God and he's saying, I want you to think about this in the first Selah when he's saying all of my enemies are all around, but here's Selah number two, Psalm three, three through four. How do you find peace? Are you tired of the fight? This is what we do. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill, Selah. We all think about the fight many times. We all struggle when we're in the middle of the fight many times, and it's okay to process that. That's what Selah number one is all about. But you can't just stay there where you're overwhelmed at the battle at hand. You got to go to Selah number two, where you recognize the Lord is our shield. He is our glory. He is the lifter of our head. I love this in David because we think of him as this great warrior who won many battles, but we fail to recognize what made him great. We think it's the power of his own strength. We think when he beat Goliath, it was just because he slung that stone so hard. No, he had God on his side. How is David beating all of these enemies? How does David continue on time after time, fight after fight? How does he continue to be in victory? He puts his faith in the God of all victory. The God who the scripture says in the New Testament is the one who always leads us to triumph. And so he puts his faith in the Lord. And you see this. He doesn't just stay Woe is me. My son's after me. These traitors have turned against me. He does do that, which it's healthy to do that. But he goes on and he thinks about who God is. Now, who God was to David, Christian, is the same God to you. Matter of fact, in the new covenant, if you're a Christian, the new covenant, the Bible says, is based on better promises. So if God fought on David's behalf, In the old covenant, come on church, he's going to fight on your behalf in the new covenant. Come on somebody. The same God in the battle for David is the same God in your battle. So who is this God? Who's this God in the battle? I want you to think about this. It is very clearly said of him from David that you are my shield. Who is God in the battle? He is your shield. Why does David go out to fight Goliath? Without any armor, without any shield, he actually is offered armor from Saul. He rejects that armor because it didn't fit him. It wasn't his armor. It's not what he was used to. He just goes out with his shepherd slingshot and five stones. Why is this? Because he knew who his shield was. He knew it was the Lord. 
This is the same shield that was around David when he fought Goliath that was going to protect him from Absalom's men and these traitors that were on his track at this point. They were coming after him as he left Jerusalem and he's going out into hiding. It's the same God who's going to protect him against them. I gave my brother Flack in my first point for being my foe, but let me also give him some credit for being my shield. All right, I love having a big brother. It, it, it definitely produced some character in my life growing up for sure, and it definitely was my opposition many times I had to face, but let me tell you this. When I was in uh, ninth grade as a freshman, and I was being bullied by a senior who was on the football team. And I've always been a little short. Come on, somebody, right? Any other short people? David was too. Hallelujah. Good things, big things come in small packages. Hallelujah. I thought I'd have a witness in the house today. I said big things come in small packages. So anyway, I'm a freshman. And I'm walking down the hallway one day. And really, this was kind of day after day for a season. And this big dude, but this, it culminated in this one moment. This big dude who's on the football team pushes me down in the middle of the hallway and then laughs. I was devastated. I was like, dude, how can I even show my face again in that hallway, right? And, and so I knew nothing else to do except for to call my big brother to say, hey, dude, listen, there's this senior, and he had already graduated. So by the time I was freshman, he had just graduated the previous year. And so I said, look, there's this dude who pushed me down in the hallway. He's huge. I have, no, I have no fight against this guy. I will literally be destroyed if I try to fight him, but I know you can beat him. So I told him. Now, at this moment, I don't know where this guy lives. I don't know anything about him, but I'm like, bro, track him down. Go get him, all right? And that's just who my brother was, man. If you rise up against somebody who he loves, he's still this way to this day. So anyway, uh, one night we were hanging out. It was my friend and my brother's friend. He took us, I think, to a football game, and we were coming back trying to get some McDonald's, you know, on a Friday night. So we get up to McDonald's. We get out of the car, and McDonald's door is locked. It's like they were closed at this point. So I look in the window, seeing if anybody was in there, and it just so happened to be my bully was working at that McDonald's that day. I said, Josh, get him. That's the dude. My brother begins to pound on the window of McDonald's. He says, you get over here. This guy obeys my brother, pounding on the door, telling him to get over here. Like, who are you? What are you talking about? Get over here. I'm calling the manager. I'm calling the cops. This guy obeys my brother. He opens the door. He says, how can I help you, sir? My brother takes him by the neck. He slams him up against the door. He says, if you ever hurt my brother again, if you ever just even come close Again, I will kill you. I will chop you up and I will throw you into a dumpster. <laughs> now, look, when I was in the hallways before this moment, I'm hiding. I'm concerned over the next few weeks after he pushed me down. I don't walk the same way anymore. But guess what? When my big brother was in front of me and he was having this dude by the neck, I was like, yeah, what's up now, boy? I had so much boldness, so much courage. So, so much strength. Why? Because my big brother was in front of me. Later on, after that, all I got was, hi, how are you doing? He went over out of his way to come check on me. This senior who was my bully now was being my best friend. I was walking down the hallway with all sorts of courage and strength because my big brother, my shield, who was bigger than my bully, 
was right there defending me. Can I tell you, there's somebody bigger than my big brother. And Christian, he is on your side. He's Jesus, the righteous, and he is your shield. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what you're, what's all around you and surrounding you. I just want you to know that you got a God who is bigger than any one of your enemies. And when we let our faith connect with his power and his grace, I'm telling you, church, we will get arrows and all sorts of things coming our way, but they can't defeat us because God is the shield around us. I love this, who God is in the battle. Who is he in the battle? He's your glory. So yes, David says he is my shield, but then he goes on and he says, you're my glory. Now, I know why David is saying this in this moment. Think about the shame of leaving his throne now because his son was after him. A lot of us take glory and pride in our position. We take glory and pride in our success. We take glory and pride maybe in the possessions that we hold or the things that we have. David in this moment says, none of that actually matters. Why, God? Because you're my glory. The same God that brought me to the throne is the God to keep me on the throne. Church, this is why our identity has to be in the Lord, not in what we do, not in how much money we make, not in all of our possessions. All of that stuff can change. You want want to know what never changes? God and who he says you are. And if we let him be our glory, when we let him be our identity, when we take the most pride in knowing that we are a child of God, that is the highest level of anything that cannot be shaken. It will never change for you, Christian. Your throne might, your position might, other people that were in your life, that might all change. But what never changes is who God says you are. You are his child. You are his beloved. You are his glory. And he wants to be your glory, the highest thing that you take your identity in, not the throne, but in him. Because when those things change, he remains the same. That steadies us, that secures us, that makes us more confident in the middle of things being all sorts of crazy in the battle. That gives us confidence to continue on that our identity is in something greater and higher. You're my glory. And then he says this. Who is God in the battle? He's the lifter of your head. Church, in the battle, sometimes it looks like we're being defeated. David is leaving the throne. His son Absalom and the traitors that were with him are after him and on his trail. The reason why, in point one, I forgot to say this, the reason why it says there's no salvation for him and God, he didn't even have the priest to come alongside of David. The priest was with Absalom at this time, or either running as well. And so he he didn't have what they would think is God on his side. He is by himself with just a few men that actually did come with him. He is walking and running away from his son. It looks like he's defeated. His head, I'm sure, in that season when he was crying out to God, was cast down. But listen to me, saint. No matter how bad it seems, God has the final word. 
He's a lifter of your head. It might be dark. It might be dreary. It might be hard. You might be getting hit on every side. If it was of the world, they would count you dead and they would count you out. But with God, come on, somebody. He can raise you from the dead. Hallelujah. He can resurrect you from the worst situations. And I'm telling somebody he is the lifter of your head, even though it might seem bad. And even though it might even seem that you are down for the count, I want us to remember who is God in battle. He is your shield. He is your glory. And he is the lifter of your head. So David cries out to God in this moment. He did acknowledge and he thought about where he was with all of these enemies, including his son on his back. But he cries out to God. He looks to God and who he is in a battle. And that's the second Selah, which leads us to the third one. The third sailor, sailor number three, Psalm three, five through eight says this. I lay down and slept. Come on, somebody. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Rise, O Lord, save me, O my God. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek and break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Selah. So the same God that was with David when his brothers tried to keep him from the anointing. The same God who was with David when he fought the bear and the lion. The same God who was with David when he fought the giant. The same God who was with David for 15 years as he ran from King Saul. When The same God who was with David when he fought all these other armies was the same God to deliver him and save him from the traitors of Absalom. This is what he's saying. And I love how he says it in verse five. And he's wanting us to think about this. This is what Selah means. He's wanting us to think about this. I lay down and slept. Y'all, you didn't catch that when we read it. He is running from his son. He's running from these traitors that joined his son. And at this point in the prayer, after he processed what he was going through, he put his faith in the God who was his shield and was his glory and the lifter of his head. By Selah number three, he wants us all to think about this. He even took a nap. Y'all, when we're in the battle, it consumes our mind sometimes, doesn't it? We're concerned how the story's going to end. We're afraid. We think we got to take some type of control in the matter. We got to do something so that we will win in the scenario. And sometimes God will tell you to obey him by doing something. But sometimes he's just saying, listen to me. I got this. You can sleep because I'm your victory. Oh, man, this is so good. He goes to sleep he is not consumed with anxiety at this stage. In Selah number one, he's, he has all sorts of anxieties, wondering how the end of the story is going to be. But by Selah number three, after he put his faith in the Lord, he's able to sleep. He's able to sleep. He says, I'm not going to fear though thousands of people have set themselves against me all around. I know I don't know about you, but like when you travel, I know the first night, whenever I'm in a new hotel, I'm a new city or whatever, I, I don't sleep that well. 
this dude is running from his son and the traitors that were with his son. And he's in the wilderness somewhere and he's sleeping really good. He doesn't have any fear and anxiety at this moment. Why? Because he knows the battle belongs to the Lord. This wasn't his battle to fight, just like Saul's battle wasn't his battle to fight. This is for the, the throne of Israel. Who, who had control over the throne? The scripture says the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. Who's in control of your life? Are you? Is our government? No, no, no. Who's in control is the sovereign God of all creation. And the Bible says our battles as a Christian, those who are in covenant with him, just as David was, they don't belong to us. They belong to him. So what do we do in the middle of the battle? Yes, we cry out. We process what we're going through, but we put our faith in the God who is greater than any enemy that is against us. And then what do we do? We rest. We rest and believe that God has our back. That God's going to take care of whatever this is. I know it's coming against me. I know it's strong after me, but God, he's going to take care of this. Church, in Christianity, I want you to know that the battle has already been won. Can I tell somebody, Shauna said this in communion. Jesus is not getting back on the cross. He's not going back to the grave. He's not going to rise again again. How many of you guys know it is finished? He fought every demon in hell by hanging on that cross, dying, going into hell, and rising again. All right, he did it all. That's why we can have real faith that he has saved the day already. And if we just trust in him, that everything we have need of, our eternal salvation, but even the things that we deal with in this life, they are done and bought and paid for at the cross through what Jesus Christ has done. I love how Romans 8.32 says it. It says, since he did not spare God, even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? If Jesus has finished it for our eternal salvation, and he did all of that to buy and pay for our eternal salvation, Paul, the writer of Romans, is saying, won't he give us everything else we need? Now listen, this is a statement I want you to think about. Your level of anxiety in the battle is in accordance to how much you believe this. All of us struggle with anxiety when we're facing some type of battle that seems to be beyond us, something that is against us, something that seems to be after us in such a way that we don't know necessarily if it's going to turn out for our good or not. But in Christ, I need to let somebody know it will. And our level of anxiety, our fear, our concern of it really turning out for our good is in accordance to how much we already believe that God is our fighter. The battle belongs to him. In Christianity, it is already finished at the cross. Now, you and I, church, need to rest in him.
Be anxious for nothing. But with all prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. David had no reason in the natural to be peaceful. He had no reason in the natural to be sleeping when his enemies are chasing him, when his son is chasing him. I want to give you a story from last year in my own life where this was true. And you guys know I've been facing all sorts of battles when it comes to our adoption journey. We've been in the game for four years pursuing this. Well, last year, we decided that we were going to help a couple who approached us. They were going to abort their baby. And they wanted us to come alongside of them. And they said, we're going to give you the baby. So we said, okay, we're going to come alongside of you. We're going to help you. We're going to support you. There came a point in this process after about four or five months where he was asking us to do some things that I wasn't comfortable doing, and he was holding the baby as leverage in that scenario. We gave him some money uh, according to the law uh, that we're allowed to give when it comes to adoption for mother's health and things like that. We gave half of it then. We we're going to give the other half later, and they called me that day when they found out how much we gave them and they were offended. This is all you think of us, they said. This is all you wanted to do. I'm totally offended. How could you do this? We're giving you this baby, blah, 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 blah. We didn't have to give them anything, number one. But we were doing what we knew was right under at least the law. I was so hurt by the scenario. I was broken by the scenario. I'd already been concerned because they had been asking us to do some things that weren't right anyway. And now we're giving the money and now they're not even appreciative of that. Now they're calling us like we're taking advantage of them in the situation when they approached us and we were there for them when they asked us to be there. That night I was broken, man. I, I remember I actually fell asleep, but I woke up at like one in the morning. You guys been there? You got some stress, some anxiety, some fear. Again, you're in the battle. And so I went to bed, thankfully, that night, but I woke up about like 1, one third, something like that, and I'm like anxious about the scenario. Should we have done something else? What did we do wrong? I mean, I'm just going through all this in my mind. It's all just weighing on me, right? So I wake up my wife, and she's like, what's going on? Babe, I'm just struggling with this, and I'm just really having a hard time with this, and this is really hard, and I just begin to cast my burden on her. How many of you guys are thankful for a good spouse who allow you to cast your burdens on them? Come on, somebody. Well, then we took that burden, so it's not just on us. We said, God, I'm going to give this thing to you. It hurts. You know that we've been trying to do this thing just out of the kindness of our heart. We're just trying to do this thing with love and compassion, and this is what's happening. So we cast this care on him. We're crying. We're just giving it to the Lord. That's Selah number one. We believe that he's our shield. He's our glory. He's writing our story. He's going to finish the story the way he wants it to. Not because they want to give us a baby, but because he does. Come on, somebody. He's the lifter of our head. And then Selah number three, after we just prayed and cried all of that out to God, I went back to sleep. And can I be honest with you, even through the situation that came after that, I haven't lost another lick of sleep over our adoption journey. Why? Because I put my faith and trust in the Lord. 
It's not my battle at the end of the day to fight. It's my battle to obey. But it's also my battle just to be still and know that he is God. Come on, I'm preaching to somebody who's going through it right now. Be still and know that he is God. He's going to take care of it. He will finish the story. He is writing your story. He is fighting your battles. Put your faith in the shield. Put your faith in your glory. Put your faith in the one who's able to lift up your head. And when that's you and we're anxious about all sorts of things, let's remember to say love. Just to think about who God is and who is he on your side. Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes with me today?